When you start thinking more than half of the population around you are idiots, then start thinking which part of the world you might belong yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Leif Johansson. He's the non-executive chairman at British drug giant AstraZeneca, and he'll share what he has learned as a leader in a tech career that has spanned five decades. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. We sort of had a tendency to have an overbelief in processes, in structure, in discipline, but the real ability to combine that perhaps with the looking for entrepreneurial individuals, individuals even make more of a difference than I thought before I entered AstraZeneca. It's easy to react to what's right in front of you, but a leader's true challenge is in how they solve for what's not obvious. That is how you truly balance the short term while shaping the long. Leif knows this well. He has a CV that spans 50 years in technology. His career has included a decade as CEO of the Volvo Group, a role as chairman at Ericsson, and most recently for more than a decade that includes the storm of the pandemic and the history-making effort to deliver billions of vaccines to countries around the world. He served as non-executive chairman at AstraZeneca. Guiding him in each role is what drove him to science and technology in the first place. The desire to understand how things really work. In fact, he might have become a physics professor had he not gone into business, and that desire to truly understand what's not known has shaped his leadership and his approach to problem solving. Leif steps down this month from his role at AstraZeneca. He spoke to me about his near 50-year career at the annual meeting last January in the heart of the bustling Congress Center in Davos. You'll hear that activity in the background, but nothing that should spoil your enjoyment of Leif sharing the innovations he's been most proud to be a part of, the moments that changed and shaped him, and what any leader can learn. We'll get into all that, but first, he'll talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and what he thinks it has taught leaders about seeing healthcare as a long-term investment. When we are at our best, both in, as a company, but also as a healthcare sector, then we see that health as an asset that needs to be invested in, in such a way that we can get benefits in the future, and not only for patients to be less ill or exposed to less disease, but also for a health cost point of view. So healthy populations are actually resilient populations. And given all of these challenges that are swirling simultaneously, what should leaders be prioritizing? I think we should be prioritizing a medium to long-term mindset. There is sometimes, you know, businesses are criticized for being too short-term. I think from a political point of view, short-termism is not going to be what we want for the long-term future. And obviously that's true also of institutions where we have to build trust in institutions. You build trust by transparency. We saw that in the vaccine campaign, for example, which we were deeply involved in. You build trust by transparency, real data, sharing that and doing it in such a way that over time, population gradually builds up a trust in the whole of the system. So 
all of that, I think, with a medium to long term mindset is what we should be really looking at. A lot of leaders are going to need to change a little bit how they're wired in order to work for the long term and factor that in. Think less about what happens next quarter. What are the changes that they need to have? Is it is it only a mindset change? Is it also sort of a block and tackle the way they approach their daily life? Like, What do they need to change to make sure that they are factoring in the long term? Probably a little of, of all of that. Yeah. And obviously, if you're a public company, there is always this short-termism around uh, quarterly results, et cetera, which are, of course, important. Yeah. Uh, we shareholders are, are uh, an important stakeholder. But if you look at how we really create value over time, it does not lie in quarterly results. It lies in investments, and pharmaceutical industry is a good example of that. We invest upwards of $10 billion at AstraZeneca every year. Most of that will be for medicines that are coming out in 2030. If we don't do that, if we just looked at the short-term part of that, that we would be very profitable for a short while, but we would not add value to our patients or to, to other stakeholders for, uh, in the longer term. I think it's a good mindset. I think media sometimes does not contribute yeah. to that because media is nowadays so powerful and so immediate that you could actually lose yourself a little in, in the media side and, and be exposed to immediacy of all of that rather than to argue the longer term. What would be different if we switched from a, a sort of a, a sick care mindset to a healthcare mindset. If we all were able to sort of go in that other vein, what would happen? It, it would be a great thing. You know, 97% of all healthcare costs is being spent after a patient feels ill and presents at a primary care center or a hospital. And that obviously is wrong, frankly. If we could spend a bigger proportion in early detection, even prevention, and early intervention, that would be a much, much better case. Now, it, whether it should be 10, 90, or whether it should be 20, 80, it depends a little on science and technology available to us, but it also depends on the mindset of how we spend money. And we, for example, are engaged in young health programs in many parts of the world where we are trying to get kids play less TV games and play more football. And those are things how to build healthy lifestyles, which will keep that part of the population out of disease. All of those are very important. Smoking is an obvious one, but, but there's so many different things that we can do in early prevention and then also early detection. And if we could spend more money up front, then we need to spend less money in the longer term. So. And what does that world look like? So if we really did prioritize healthcare and not sick care. In 20 years, what does our day-to-day -day look like? What is completely different? What's our before and after? There is a number of very good diagnostic technology coming our way. With one blood test uh, or a very small blood test, you can actually diagnose many different parts of, of disease. So I think the most obvious one is that we will be spending less time queuing for the hospital and the primary care center and more time communicating with the system digitally. Monitoring is a very good example of that. Yeah. So when patients become ill and need treatment, our ability to deliver that treatment in the surroundings of a home rather than a hospital will be obviously from a patient quality point of view, from patient life quality point of view, will be very good and will be much more comfortable than needing to go out and take a taxi to the hospital. But it will also, from a patient point of view, be more safe. And from a cost point of view, of course, a, a lower cost. So I think we can actually see a healthcare system at the real level of the patient fairly dramatically different from what we are seeing today.
if we invested in healthcare, then there's also an investment in economies. Why do you think there's not maybe a greater awareness of that fact? I think I think that we're beginning to be an awareness, and and I think what drives that right now is people like us coming to say, look at this, we have a wonderful world of opportunity in terms of technology and science. But was really driving it also from the political point of view is that they see escalating cost, and they see requests from their populations, their citizens to be able to deliver reasonable health care. And if they cannot meet with that to a reasonable cost. So I think right now we have two good things coming to work together. One is the real understanding of cost and that it's important for citizens, for political leadership to be able to deliver on that. And then actually a a whole portfolio of wonderful opportunities that can be used to be able to to do that well. So I I think we, we have a very good opportunity to do something very meaningful in the next 10 years. I wanted to talk a little bit about your career. Has there been maybe a a past experience that's been really shaping to you that you always go back to and say, you know, gosh, this this is relevant to me and I've I've used those lessons multiple times. Has there been a shaping experience for you? In many ways, I thought I would be a professor of physics. And then I was lured into business. So obviously that was a big step. And every now and then I have a sad moment that I didn't continue with physics, but it's been a very rewarding life. I I have five children and one of my daughters uh, was very critical of me when when I was the head of Electrolux. And it was found out that we had a problem with the CFCs and the Montreal Protocol. And I spent a little time, two minutes or so, speaking to her, trying to explain to her why it was important to have CFCs, et cetera. And, and she actually said, you know, that if you could use your eventual intelligence, already painful there, tell me how to do good things rather than explain bad things. And that, that went home. It, and so I decided I should never be surprised again because we were surprised with the yeah. CFC issue. And, and I would want to be on the front line of explaining to young people how to do good things rather than bad things. So it really took me into sustainability and environmental issues. Is there a trait that you've depended on throughout your career? Something that, like, gosh, if I hadn't developed this, if I didn't do this, everything would be different. That's, that's a difficult question, but, but I think I, I thrive from being among people. Uh, and I frankly found out that I'm not particularly good at anything by myself, but together with other people around me, I can do wonderful things. So that's probably something that has followed me. My family are joking with me saying that I have a Laplander disease. I get green in my face if I'm alone more than half an hour. So that's probably something that has been very much part of my career. Physics is really about understanding how everything in the world works. That desire and that appeal, how has that sort of bled into your work elsewhere in your career? That desire to sort of know and want to know, that curiosity, how things work. It has certainly taken me into very intensely technology and science-based industries. And I have a very genuine interest in trying to understand how things work. That's almost a reflex from education there, but also interest. And I think it is important we, that we ask ourselves the question, how does this really work? Yeah. Rather than only create opinions about it. And I think that's true. It's certainly true in business, I think, and it's true in the types of businesses that I've been involved in. But I think it might be true on a political level, too, that we have to work with real data. We have to really have an understanding of the basics of a problem rather than forming opinions too early. You've been in this particular role for 11 years. How have you changed as a leader just in that time? 
I think perhaps in, in this role, one of the things that, and I used to be as an executive, you know, I was an executive for 23 years. Mm -hmm. This is now a chairman's role. So and I think what has really been brought home to me during this period is that people make a difference. Mm -hmm. So we, we sort of had a tendency to have an overbelief in processes, in structure, in discipline, all of which are good words and, and all of which need to be there. But the real ability to combine that perhaps with the looking for entrepreneurial individuals, people who really want to make a difference, people who can get other people enthusiastic, people who can be running for a long while with energy and passion without wearing themselves out, etc. So people actually do make a difference. Individuals even make more of a difference than I thought before I entered AstraZeneca. Is there something that you do now that maybe would not have occurred to you at the beginning of your career? I think I am actually a better leader in yeah. terms of listening yeah. more. There is a joke somewhere that you can reach the anecdotal age, which is when you tell everyone what you used to do rather than listening to what needs to be done. I'm trying to escape that anecdotal <laughs> age and, and stay with the listening mode instead. With experience and with age, you lose a little of the energy and, and the real intensity of the energy that, that I had when I was younger, but you actually, you get a better opportunity to listen in to people and to be slightly slower in making up your mind too quickly and then give people a chance to really, to really talk through what they're trying to do. Don't make people nervous, make people feel secure that you're listening to them and you're serious with them. People often confuse with speaking yourself with being an active person. I think listening actively is, is actually a more important trait. You're going to retire from the chairman role this year. What's something that you look back on as a highlight where you're like, you know what, I'm really glad that, you know, that emerged, that I was part of that. What's something that others will be taking forward and, and change even more? I think this whole exercise that we had with vaccines where we were able to very quickly, based on academic science, able to deliver 3 billion doses of vaccines in 180 countries, and we decided to do it at no profit. That is clearly a highlight of, of what we have been doing over the past 10 years. It's not the most important thing that we have been doing. The most important thing has actually been to fuel up a pipeline of new drugs in such a way that we have growth coming up over the next couple of years at least, and hopefully many years. So that's the most important thing we have done. But the most exciting things, perhaps, and what I will remember most, will be the vaccine campaign. Is there a piece of advice that, you know, that has, you've always been grateful for? Absolutely. I had a leader once, a very strong leader. And, and when I was a young man, I had a job that was not so easy. So I came to him and, and I told him everything that I felt was wrong with, with what people had done earlier than that. And I said, this is wrong. You know, this is obviously wrong. Why we shouldn't be doing this way, etc. And, and he became quite aggravated because we had been responsible for most of that. He said, you know, Leif, when, when you start thinking more than half of the population around you are idiots, then start thinking which part of the world you might belong yourself. <laughs> so, so that was, I remember that. And that, that takes me out of being too critical. It takes me more out of being part of. And let's now decide what we want to do for the future rather than be critical of the past. If you were going to give advice to yourself at the beginning of your career, what would you tell him? 
I would probably acknowledge that I, I've had a sense of adventure in my life in, in not hesitating to switch industries or companies or even technologies and sciences. There are a couple of times where I probably, if I, with what I know now, could have said, you could have done that even more. Yeah. And you obviously enjoyed what you were doing, so you could have done it even more. So that's probably a good piece of advice. Be a little adventurous and try things out. I had a good friend who had a, a very good theme. It says, check Check everything out, decide later. That's not so bad. Check it out, decide later. That was Leif Johansson. Thanks so much to him, and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club Podcast, is available at weth.ch slash podcasts. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me, with Juan Toran as studio engineer, Jerry Johansson as editor, and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.